There was an exclusive retirement village where a group of widows met weekly in the lodge to play bridge. One day, uh, a new resident walked past them, uh, a handsome, rather distinguished-looking gentleman. One of the golden girls waved at him and said, Ooh, you're new here, aren't you? Yes, he answered. I I just moved in and was taking a stroll uh, to look the place over. The second widow said, Where did you move from? Well, as a matter of fact, I was just released from serving a 30-year sentence at San Quentin. The third widow asked, what did you do to get such a long sentence? The man admitted, well, I'm ashamed to say it, but you'll probably find out anyway. I murdered my wife. The fourth widow smiled and purred, oh, then you must be single. (laughs) Well, it's it's human nature to be self-serving, to to look out for old number one, to, to put ourselves first and Since infancy, we all tend to be selfish. Babies let you know when they're hungry, tired, or wet, right? They want their care to be your primary objective, even though, as a parent, you may be exhausted. But as we mature, we we move away from a childish, self-centered focus, and as we grow, we begin to think more of others and less of self. It's a gradual, often challenging transformation for Christians to travel from self-focus, my wants, my way, my wishes, my will, as we move toward the serve one another motivation. So where do you find yourself in that journey today? How do you view serving others? Duty? Drudgery? Or is it a desire that you eagerly do? Today we conclude our our message series, One Another, Relationships, God's Way. And we focus on the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, we encourage you to turn to that if you have your Bible with you. We'll project some of those verses on the screen if not. But part of that growing, maturing process means that if we are going to live like Jesus... We must learn to serve like Jesus. In this passage, he provides an example for us of how to serve others genuinely. For most of us, that won't come naturally. There's this inherent human trait that can only be described as the reluctance to serve one another. It was the week of the Passover feast just before Jesus was betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And we begin in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, and, and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He, he wrapped a towel around his waist. And, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet 
drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Today, we still display some of that reluctance to serve that the apostles displayed. They didn't serve at that time because they were too preoccupied. Maybe they were preoccupied with the meal or preoccupied with their discussion and conversation or preoccupied with business, preoccupied with other concerns. And I think sometimes we can get preoccupied with the same things, eating, talking, working, and we fail to see the needs of others. They had come in off the dusty roads, and and typically uh, the host or his servant would wash their feet off before they entered the house, just as a a gesture of of welcome, hospitality, and, and to keep that outside dirt from being tracked in. And that had not happened. And yet no one was willing to step into that menial role and and take on that task of a servant. And so they were just a little too preoccupied with it. And I think they felt too important to serve. As they entered this rented room without a servant or doorman to wash the road dust off, they refused to assume that lowly role and volunteer They thought they were too important, and the task was just too unpleasant for them. And so the Messiah, the Son of God, the maker of the world, slipped away from the table, and quietly he took off his outer tunic and gathered a a towel, a pitcher, and a pan in his hand, and he moved quietly from man to man, washing their feet. We need to understand historically that they were not sitting as portrayed by Leonardo da Vinci's work, The the Last Supper. That's more a reflection of that Renaissance era than the the biblical scene. They were not sitting in ladder-back dining room chairs all on one side of a long table. In the first century, people reclined at a meal. They, They actually leaned on one elbow as they lay on their side on a small, thin pad on a larger rug covering the floor. And the table was a low rectangular block of wood upon which the food was placed. And they ate with their hands, not with utensils. And this position meant that if your feet were not clean, that your neighbor was very aware of it because your feet were in his face it would be hard to ignore a face full of dirty feet. So let's return to our text, John 13, verse 6. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but but later you will realize. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then impulsive Simon Peter said, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. If you're going to wash me, wash everything. And Jesus said, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. You know what Jesus meant there? Jesus knew, it says in verse 11, who was going to betray him, And that's why I said that not every one of them 
was clean. It, it was a veiled announcement. It's, Judas, I know what you're about to do. And, and as Jesus reached Simon Peter, I'm sure most of that small talk had dwindled down. And by now the men realized how wrong they had been for one of them not to have gotten up and, and washed each other's feet. Guilt began to, to push its way into their hearts. And I can picture Peter drawing his feet up close to him and in effect saying, no, not my feet. Never, ever will you wash my feet from now till eternity. But being a servant includes receiving graciously as, as well as giving graciously. Some of you have had a chance to meet Alicia, our administrator, and she told me this week about an experience that she had. I asked her to write it up, and she gave permission to share it with you this morning. She wrote, after my dad's wreck and within the, the chaos of my mom's tracheal health issues, <clears throat> I was never certain when I would have to be on the go again or when I would be home to accomplish my daily and, and weekly upkeep. But even thinking about doing these tasks became overwhelming when I was home. But thanks to fantastic neighbors who came over nearly every week to mow the lawn and do any general upkeep they noticed, I didn't have to think about those tasks. I could keep my focus and energy on helping my parents heal and recover. Even when I was home, these neighbors would still come over and help take care of things. And they saw the need and acted, always offering to help with, with other tasks that weren't so obvious. My family is still grateful that Walter and Margaret were willing to give of their time to do for us. She said, when I think of what others have done for my family with so many serious health issues, my heart is overwhelmed. I can't always put into words well what I want to express, but it's such a blessing to serve. When others ask if I need help with this or that or say they will help with such and such a task or, or meal, I used to say, you don't have to do that. We're doing okay. But I was told by one person that I was actually taking away their blessing to serve. Now, I don't refuse such offers, and it has been very humbling, end quote. If we're going to live like Jesus, we must learn to serve like Jesus. That means we move from this reluctance to serve one another, and we move toward the readiness to serve one another. Do I think of others to such an extent that self-denial is becoming the rule in my life rather than the exception in my life. Verse 12, back in our text, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Our Lord himself gave us a compelling example of sacrificial service. You know, throughout his ministry, Jesus wasn't 
too busy to help a, a sinful tax collector down from a tree. He wasn't too busy to instruct an adulterous woman at the well. He wasn't too busy to counsel a prominent religious leader who came to him at night with some questions. Jesus is our example. And washing the feet of others was never intended as a specific command for us to go up to people and remove their socks and shoes and and wash their feet. Instead, it's this metaphor. It's this general principle to serve the needs of others. In our culture, with sidewalks and cement and asphalt, washing the, the road dust off of someone's feet is unnecessary. But we can still translate and update that directive by reaching out to the needs of others in a myriad of methods. What can you do to serve one another? Well, let me give you just a few to get you started, and you'll think of many more. But one is simply holding the door for someone. Uh, again, we're so busy, so preoccupied like the disciples that someone may be struggling with hands full and, and we don't even notice. So just the simple courtesy of holding a door for someone has become exceptional in our, in our society. How about volunteering this summer to serve with children here at church or to help on the AV team as a volunteer or or to help with the worship team. We're always in, in need of uh, fresh volunteers, and, and with summer schedules, that becomes even more critical. So maybe that's a way you could serve another. How about sharing a meal with someone following surgery? How about letting a, another car out in traffic? Uh, how about cleaning up a, a neighbor's yard after the happy graduates have toilet papered that neighbor's yard? How about cleaning up a spill at the table that you didn't create or cause? This is a hard one. Picking up your neighbor's trash when a dog has strewn it all over the yard and and doing that quietly without discovery. Poet Ruth Harms Culkin put it well when she wrote the poem entitled, I Wonder. Lord, you know how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a woman's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed me to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. We must be willing to serve whether anyone ever notices or acknowledges that. We're not looking for the approval of men and women. We are looking for the approval of our our Father in heaven. Would you consider the challenge of 1 Peter 4.10? It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Simon Peter, the same guy who said, 
you'll never wash, wash my feet, later in life said, I, I think I get it now. We're supposed to use whatever gift we have received from God and, and not hoard that for ourselves, but we're to dispense that and use it to, to serve others. That makes sense. And so helping, aiding, assisting, befriending, making a difference in the lives of others. And we do that one person at a time each day. This Thursday, we will be having a memorial service for, for my dad. He, he died in January and with COVID and some scheduling things, we opted to postpone his memorial service until late May. And so this week we, we celebrate that. So I've been thinking a lot about my, my dad, missing him a lot here recently. And uh, we've been going through pictures and sorting out things. And one of the things uh, of my dad's belongings that I kept was uh, a plaque, which is in my office down the hall. And this is how that plaque reads. It, it says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Some of you may have recently been challenged to, to help meet some need, to help connect with some opportunity, to, to, to seize a way of, of serving. And the kind of person God can use must be willing to help out when the call comes. He taught some lessons here in, in this chapter. And let me encourage you to jot these three take-homes down on your, on your bulletin so you'll remember them better. We, we remember 10% of what we hear, 20% of what's printed that we hear and, and read, but we remember 40% of what we hear, see, and, and write. So if you want to boost your retention today, just jot these, these three things down. Take-home lesson A, Serving others is a way to demonstrate our love. I like the quote that says, love is doing what you don't want to do because you want to. Maybe that's staying up with a sick child. Maybe that's changing diapers. Maybe that's cleaning up vomit. Not exactly something you want to do or like to do, but because of your love, it's something you do. Take home lesson B, we should serve even those who mistreat us. Again, consider the context of, of Jesus serving Judas, of Jesus kneeling before Judas and washing the feet of the betrayer, even though Jesus knew that the murder plot that Judas had planned was, was already being launched. There's a place in Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 27, where Jesus taught, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. You talk about a countercultural message. Our, our culture today says, cancel anyone that doesn't agree 100% with you all the time. And Jesus says, you know, we're going to disagree with people. We're going to have different conclusions and ideas and opinions, but we can still be loving. Even to those who deliberately mistreat us, we're to be loving. He goes on in, in Luke six thirty-two: If you love those who love you, 
What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So part of this trademark of being a Christian is that we serve, we love even those who mistreat us. I want you to recall the effect of of Jesus' example when he was on the cross. And there were two thieves on either side who were taunting Jesus at the beginning of the crucifixion. And then there was a change that took place. And one of those thieves asked to be pardoned and, and, and repented. And so what caused the change of heart on his part? Well, there's only one recorded statement of Jesus between the taunting and remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the statement that was made that was pivotal was when Jesus made this statement praying aloud, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And that selfless serving and that love for the unlovable prompted a profound change in the life of this penitent thief on the cross. Taking notes, take home lesson C is true greatness comes from serving others. Serving others is not a sign of weakness as some tend to equate serving as a sign of inferiority. And and so we're reluctant to be identified with that. Just the opposite is true. Serving others is a sign of strength. True greatness comes from serving others. Jesus said in Mark 9, 35, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. You know, the, the world teaches this pyramid system that uh, the higher you get to the top, it's based on having more and more people serving beneath you. And then you reach this pinnacle of value and importance. And Jesus taught just the opposite. He taught an inverted pyramid. He said that the greater you are, the more people you are serving and blessing and impacting. It's just the opposite of of what our culture, what our our world says. The late Carlos Romulo told about an old expression they had in the Philippines. It was, the taller the bamboo grows, the lower it bends. And the truly great are always humble. Only those who think they're great have to cut others down or criticize or complain. They are unwilling to do the humble, menial tasks of service. They think they're too great to do the dirty work. But you can tell how big people are by how small a job they are willing to do. This is the opposite approach to the world's measure of achieving greatness. J.W. McGarvey is one of the founders of Cincinnati Bible College. He observed... In an earthly kingdom, honor and authority measure greatness. In Christ's kingdom, it is measured by humility and service. Now, our assignment is to move beyond the reluctance to serve one another and demonstrate the readiness to serve one another. Listen to what Galatians 5.13 commands. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
rather serve one another humbly in love. And we realize our limitations. None of us can do everything we'd like to help others, but most of us could do more if we would reorder some of our priorities and responsibilities. If we're going to serve one another, we must be willing to get involved. You may recall the tragic airline crash several years ago near Washington, D.C. in in January, and it provided glimpses of heroism. Many watched the televised newsreel that showed a young woman in the frigid water, And, and one woman was brought to safety, but another was on a partially submerged cake of ice, feebly paddling for the shoreline, apparently in shock. And she could not hold on to the life preserver. She was so weak. At that moment, 28-year-old government errand runner Lenny Skutnik stood watching from the riverbank. And when he saw the young woman ready to to drown, he, he could stand it no longer. Skutnik said, I felt so hopeless. She was screaming, would somebody please help me? It looked like she had passed out. So I I jerked off my boots and my coat, and I jumped into the water. Skutnik swam to the woman. He pulled her to shore, and the young man's mother, Madeline Franklin, later reported that her son had said, when that girl needed saving, God looked around, and he said, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and you're moe. So I jumped in. Have you ever sensed that God will want you to get involved in some challenge or some difficult task and how cold the water looks, how dangerous the assignment, how many others could do it better? But when God says, you're Mo, be ready to jump in and to respond creator of the universe, the sinless son of God, the divine sovereign. He he saw a need and an opportunity to teach an object lesson about servanthood that we still are talking about 2,000 years later. He had the readiness to serve, motivated by genuine concern, bending, stooping, kneeling. He washed the feet of his followers. But long before that, Jesus knelt by coming from heaven to earth to die in our places in order to give us another chance at life and eternal life. 